Hey, Spirit fans, this is Seth Askelson, and I want to personally thank you for tuning in to the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the Founders Series so far, and hope you continue to tune in each week as great guests keep rolling in. During the first few weeks, the podcast has only been available on OUAZSpirit.com, but I am here to tell you that has changed. You can now access every edition of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast on Spotify, Google Play Music, and Apple Podcasts. Please tune in, subscribe, rate, and review on your preferred podcast platform. Once again, you can find every episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast on Spotify, Google Play Music, and Apple Podcasts. We hope you enjoy this episode, and we look forward to delivering you quality content all throughout the summer and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, to yet another edition of the Founders Podcast. My name is Seth Askelson, and today, my guest, the Director of Athletics at OUAZ, Kevin Steele. Kevin, how are you today? Doing well, Seth. Appreciate you inviting me on the program. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming on, and I know this has been a real difficult time, I mean, for everybody, but uh, for you, overseeing an entire athletic program, and not, not something that you haven't done before in terms of a job, but... What are some of the new challenges that a global pandemic has kind of put to you as a director of athletics? Oh, mercy. How long is the program? Uh, Myself and all of my colleagues are facing things that there's no handbook for and that you couldn't learn anywhere else in school. And there's, that's never happened before. So there's no experiential learning. So we're all learning together. Uh, and it's been, frankly, uh, eye-opening, uh, challenging, and it's not over. It, in some ways, is just beginning. Uh, as we try to get school reopened and get fall seasons back in the way uh, with all of our protocol and making sure that we're doing the very best that we can to keep our student-athletes safe and give them a great experience, which is still what we want to do. Um, we have to go through a lot of meetings on what ifs. And there are so many what ifs that we can't always get them delineated. So we're in a whole period of unknowns that we're trying to navigate without any true north being in place. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of athletic directors that are feeling the same way. Have you reached out? I mean, you're really connected in terms of athletic directors at all levels of college sports, have you reached out to anybody or any other directors? And I guess aside from obviously, (laughs) I don't ever pretend to have all of the answers. I may have been at this a long time. And the good part about that is means I've come across a lot of ads and a lot of wise people who I rely on heavily to uh, bounce ideas off of and to find out what they're doing. Uh, Yes. uh, My network and my phone have, have been very busy for the last three months. Uh, And today, just today, we started an entire new Facebook group for small college athletic administrators specifically to bounce ideas off of. And within four hours, there's already 61 members in that group. So that tells you that there are a lot of us wanting to know what each other is doing. 
my, my closest friends are, are great ADs across the country. Jim Abbott at Oklahoma City University, uh, Darren Wilson at Georgia Gwinnett, Jeff Bain down at Martin Methodist. I keep in contact with those guys regularly, as well as fellow GSAC and former Hart ADs. Uh, but, but those guys have got a lot of wisdom and a lot of years under their belt, so I, I stay very close to them. And we work our way through a lot of situations together. I think the GSAC, when it comes to administrators, um, aside like myself with the SIDs, really, really close and, and really good at communicating with each other and bouncing ideas off. Does it help that you're in a conference that not only has a lot of great ADs in terms of experience and, and leadership, but also ADs that are that understand that it's not just about the individual schools at this point. It's really about what's going to be best for the conference coming up? Yes. I, I, mean, I was a little hesitant on that, yes. And you may have noticed that. Um, because I was thinking back through what the GSAC has gone through in the last few months. Uh, and there are some real quality ADs in the group. And some very young ADs in the group that are real quality. And I think that gives us a dynamic different than a lot of different conferences have because we do have old people like me and some very young people uh, like Jeff Bussell at Vanguard who's doing a great job who in fact we elected as the AD of the year for the GSEC conference this year uh, and, and Jeff does a great job and has a good head on his shoulders. It also helps that 90% of our schools are Christian schools so we come at it from the same uh, background, we, can't, we come at things from a, from a biblical worldview, so we tend to think of others more than ourselves just because of that view. Uh, and that's unique in our world uh, and very much enjoyed by me. Yeah, it's a conference that shares its values from the Christian faith and, and the biblical, biblical side of things and really showing that good human nature of caring about each other more than yourself and and for you you mentioned some of the younger ADs not only in the conference but maybe even across the country are there times where you see some of those younger athletic directors and maybe see a little bit of your a younger self in you in terms of the way they make decisions the way they go about their business and is there any advice that you typically give out when you see maybe a, a characteristic that you had as a younger athletic director yes don't do it like I did <laughs> That's my number one piece of advice for every young AD I come across. Um, honestly, there are some really good young ADs across the country uh, at every level, and the NAI is no different. In fact, our ADA president right now, uh, Joe Glover out of IU Southeast, young, smart, really wise beyond his years AD, uh, and we've been friends for a few years. And honestly, what I tell them is you don't have to bloody the water as much as I did. I kind of came in as a young AD and thought the whole world needed to change. It needed to change like I thought it needed to change. And so I wasn't as quick to listen as I should have been before I was quick to speak. So I learned the hard way. Um, now after you know, I'm getting on a, almost a 30 years in the business, I hope I'm getting smarter. Um, 
that doesn't mean I'm always wiser, but that's my true desire is to be wiser. Uh, and I'm hoping that I'm listening far better now than I ever have in my career. And I think that's helping me be a better agent. Now, as an athletic director of what is still seen as, as a really new program, right? Only three years in with a lot, with most sports, even though you've had that experience, what are some of the things that you have learned as an AD of a brand new athletics department and, and really in you growing over the last three years, this big department at OUAZ? Well, again, we're in a very unique situation. We're not just a new athletic department, we're a new university. And not many people in the world have the experience of creating a university and especially creating one on the backs of student athletes, which is what we did to try, try and start 22 sports immediately so that we had enough students to make us a viable institution in year one. And to do all of that within a eight month period, uh, there's no book for that either. So I've learned an, an awful lot. Number one, when you hire, hire really well and hire people who are close to you if possible. Because you need to be able to trust them implicitly because your mind is in, and your body is in so many different places that you really have to trust them to do what you know they're capable of doing. And that's what happened here. That's why we were successful. Number one, the Lord blessed it. Number two, there are great people here. Great people answered the call when I made phone calls and said yes when it was their opportunity to say yes. And they did something that humanly just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but they pulled it off. And now we are beginning to reap some of the rewards. But we're still really young. We're still far too large of a percentage of our institution as, as student athletes. Uh, but it's changing. We just want it to change more quickly as we grow. Uh, we don't want to continue growing athletics. We want to grow the institution, which means non-athletes. Uh, and every one of us are in the corner of every recruiter and enrollment advisor and enrollment executive that we can find because we want them to grow quickly. Now, even though you're the director of athletics and you could, if you wanted to, probably just focus on your side of things, it's like you said, a lot of people, no matter what department they're in, they're on the side of advisors and recruiters and financial aid people. And But as an athletic director who's trying to help grow the school side of things, what is your role and, and what are the, some of the things that you do in order to help grow the school itself outside the athletic department? Well, I don't know that I specifically as an individual do anything. Uh, I am incredibly supportive uh, of our president and of our provost and our deans, uh, our VP for enrollment management. And I, make myself available to all of them rather than stay in and try and silo what is what most athletics people do. Most coaches silo in their sport. Well, our coaches don't. They see the big picture. Most athletic departments silo in the athletic department. We 
we can't, we can't afford to, uh, because without all of us doing our part all the way across campus and caring deeply for one another and how they do, this place won't be successful. So it takes that on a daily basis. Now, frustrating for everyone. Everyone gets frustrated in a three-year-old school about to be four years old. Uh, but I look at it and I remind our staff pretty routinely, and you're in there so you hear this, you know, what does a three-year-old toddler look like? Let's remind ourselves that we're a three-year-old toddler in the world of higher education. So let's not think that we have all of this wired, nor should we. And let's not think that we're not without a lot of growth yet to be done because we're seriously a three-year-old toddler in our business. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the more put-together three-year-old toddlers I think I've ever seen. Uh, but it's it's like you said, I mean, it's it's a growing school. And do you think maybe part of that frustration comes from a lot of people that came from established schools, right? I mean, yourself personally and, and a lot of the coaches and the administration, is it because they want to try and build to where they were at prior to coming to OUAZ, which has had decades of, of success and, and legacies and establishments built. Do you think some of the frustration comes from that? Well, you answered your own question. I'm, I'm certain of it. Uh, they, they were hired because they were successful coming in. And yes, they were all at very established programs. And so that's what they know. Uh, and that's not something to be pitied or something to be taken out of. Uh, it's what they know. It's not where we are. So it gets frustrating. And I get that. And so we have to continually step back and reevaluate what success looks like for a three-year-old toddler, not what does success look like for an institution that's been around for 150 years. That's not us. That is our mothership. They've been around that long. But this campus, since January 2017. Uh, so we have to reevaluate what it is that we call success and view it in terms of who we are. And do one of the things that's really hard for competitors to do, and that's to keep your eyes on yourself and not everyone around you. Don't play the comparison game. The only one we're comparing ourselves to is us. Uh, and, and we are the only ones that know what we are going through and whether we are giving our best efforts, our 100% effort. And once you've done that and you've kept the Lord first and the kids second, I'm not going to ask more of you. Successful come. Yeah, and yeah. success has come in a lot of different ways outside of the wind column, whether it be um, the opening of Faith Arena and the Odell Center, uh, the opening of the cafeteria and the dorm rooms. I mean, things that not only benefit us as a staff, but also benefit the, the students and the student athletes and growing that OUAZ community. And, and you mentioned part of it is, is not looking around and, and comparing yourself to others. And when talking with some of the former athletes, they had said, you know, basically they've gone from playing in a high school to, you know, being in one of the better facilities in the conference. And even just outside of the facilities, are you starting to notice that 
a lot of whether it be athletic directors or administrators of other schools are starting to notice that there is success coming from OUAZ. Yes, the facilities have a lot to do with that. Uh, we are blessed beyond imagined with the facilities that we currently have. Number one, that they were built within the first three years because I seriously had that as a five to seven year plan for just one piece of the full set that we already have. Uh, so we're way ahead of schedule in facilities um, beyond what I had imagined it being. Now we're way behind in facilities. Behind meaning I wish we'd had them in year one because we would be three years beyond that now, knowing how to use them and, and ex exploiting them for everything that we can. Uh, having more recruiting cycles underneath of the university with those facilities. Uh, but the facilities are beautiful. Uh, as you said, some of the finer NAI facilities in the West Coast for sure. Uh, and it's always fun. Surprise in and of itself as a city is pretty young. So everything's pretty new and, and pretty shiny and kids like that when they come in on recruiting visits. And now we have a school that kind of matches that. Uh, everything's new and shiny and, and you know, appealing. And what we want is that our programs continue the trend of our facilities have done. That we're ahead of schedule in them. And some of them, frankly, have no business being as good as they already are. And all credit to the coaches and the kids that are within those programs. Uh, and the way that we scholarship is not great by comparison, or even good by some comparisons. But our coaches don't let that may become a negative in their careers. And they find ways to get beyond that. And when you start looking at what most soccer programs have done and what football program has done and what beach volleyball has done and what men's volleyball has done, uh, and the list continues to what golf has done. Seriously, how, how did we do that um, as a third-year program? So, yeah, ADs notice and coaches notice. When they come on campus, if they happen to be a gym sport, and they, they look around now, and frankly, they said it to my face, well, you now have the finest facilities in the GSAC. And I don't agree or disagree. I just said, look, we're blessed to have what we have, and we're going to use it to the best of our ability to, to build the Lord's kingdom and to change kids' lives. And that's really the goal here. Do you think as not only a Christian man yourself, but uh, the school being faith-based and, and really around the Bible that you mentioned building in, in God's kingdom and God's image. And the facilities are really used for that specifically for faith arena when it comes to uh, the weekly spirit life on Wednesdays. Do you think, does it, or does it bring you a sense of pride that these facilities aren't being used just for athletics? They're being used to, you know, help spread the word of the Lord and, and help spread the message that um, God wanted to give to his people. Yeah. And I want to, I want to be careful how we say that because that's exactly what our sports are doing as well. That's the sport is simply the tool. Uh, the message doesn't change. 
why we do what we do and how we do what we do and the way we do it counterculturally uh, is all about spreading the word of the Lord. Uh, and to be able to top that off with the more formal, if you will, spirit life service on Wednesday and have it within, if you will, our athletic facilities. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, but I love to see it in a, in a great theater setting someday when, as we build on, absolutely I would. Uh, and it would be much better for the people who attend. But, but I love seeing that as a part of what we're doing because it all meshes together. It's not one piece doing something separate from another. It's all of us trying to do that very same thing, but doing it in a different way. So the basketball coach may use basketball and, and teach basketball in such a way that he is infusing the word of the Lord within that and, and giving kids an example to look at. At the same time, we've got a speaker coming from across the country somewhere who's going to give his life experience that may reach somebody else who's not quite getting it from a basketball coach or their football coach or their tennis coach or whatever it may be. But all of us are trying to do the very same thing, which is what makes this absolutely the most fun you can possibly have. Yeah, you're right. The sports really do help spread the word of the Lord and whether the coach is doing that in practice or uh, I think the biggest thing that I see, at least in terms of an outward gesture, is uh, your wife, Kristen Steele, the volleyball coach at the end of every game no matter where the team's from, no matter what university, what denomination they may be, they always gather around in a prayer circle after the game and, and pray together. And um, just really shows that there's a lot of things that are bigger than the game and, and the Lord is, is number one and shows that, you know, the school really does put that first when it comes to um, spreading, spreading the message and, and the exact goal of, of the athletics. And um, when you talk about goals for yourself, I mean, how much more can you accomplish at least as an athletic director, especially at um, your last school, um, Mid-America, Nazarene? I mean, the list goes on and on for accomplishments for yourself as an athletic director. Um, the women's basketball team there won the NAI Division I National Championship. Football has three conference titles while you were there going to the playoffs six to seven years. Uh, but men's basketball having huge success, men's soccer having big success. I mean, just all of these programs, and you're an athletic director an established program whose sports continually succeed and continually go to the playoffs and compete for national championships. Why leave that to come to a brand new school? I ask that question all the time, Seth. <laughs> and honestly, I had to, I had to call some of those same people that we mentioned earlier in the show, some of my close friends in the business, because I didn't go after this job. The job came to me. Um, Chancellor Wagner called me and decided to talk to me about it. I knew about the job from some other people in the country, so I kind of knew that there was something going on. And frankly, I, one of my really good friends, Bruce Parker, who was at the time the AD at Rocky Mountain College, was really slated to be the AD. Uh, here, but he unfortunately became ill and needed to take care of his health and he wanted to do it with the healthcare system there uh, in Billings. So 
he had opened up again and he actually had told me about it at one point when I had been from Arizona before uh, in my career uh, and background. And when I left in 1988, I swore I'd never move back. <laughs> uh, tells you what the Lord thinks of your plans. Uh, because when it came down to it, Kristen and I just really spent a lot of time in prayer as to, is this really the right thing to do? Uh, regardless of how we feel about it as human beings, is it what the Lord wants us to do? And we got this sense no, he didn't speak audibly. Still waiting on that one. Uh, but we got the sense that this was the right move and that it was going to be incredibly challenging uh, for both of us. And frankly, probably more so for her. She was coming off incredible success. Top 10 program year after year that she had built at MMU. Uh, and I was asking her to come and start something from scratch. Frankly, volleyball is a very high scholarship, high dollar scholarship sport in the NAI, and she wasn't going to have that. So competing for her was going to be almost impossible. Yet she still felt like this is where the Lord wanted us. Not looking at her career numbers, but just trying to be obedient. And that's where I was. You know, I called, I specifically remember a phone conversation with, Jim Abbott from Oklahoma City. And I said, Jim, is it okay at this point in my career to take a job where I know I'm not going to win? <laughs> and without reservation, he says, Kevin, you have won everywhere you've been. You've proven you can do that. Why not take on a challenge like this? Where success is just the success of the school. It's not got anything to do with wins and losses. And so that meant a lot to me, and it supported kind of what I felt like the Lord was asking me to do. So, yeah, I was blessed to be around great coaches and great programs that we have phenomenal success at at MNU, and I loved my time and would have been happy to stay there the rest of my life, uh, however long that would be. If they would have kept me. Um, but here I am back, especially today. What are we about 112 today, Seth? It's I'm hot. Back in that very place that I said I would never come back to. And the reason I said it was because my last year here, there were 146 straight days of over 100 degree temperature. Oh, man. <laughs> I moved to Baltimore, Maryland, just to get as far away as I could in the <laughs> contiguous United States. <laughs> oh, man, I mean, if, if you wanted to get as far away as you could, you should have went up to Maine. I mean, that's, that's probably about as far away as it would have been. That, I guess that would have been a little further. Uh, hey, look, you went to a major city in Baltimore. But as you mentioned, I mean, nearly 30 years later, you come back, and obviously you probably – Take a tour of the school before you accept a job. Now, in this series, uh, very differing um, things in terms of when people came and visited. Going at a school is using the term loosely. <laughs> yeah, where the school would be placed eventually, I think, is is the more appropriate term. But uh, football coach Mike Nesbitt came when it was 70 degrees. Coach Adam Hepker, head, or assistant coach Adam Hepker of bat, men's basketball came when it was 115 um, Brittany Keller, the assistant athletic director, 
came just days after having uh, her son. I mean, such incredible stories. But when you came, what month was it? And what was the biggest difference you noticed in Arizona from the last time you left? Well, the first time I came, uh, it happened to be after a phone call with Gene Starreichner in October of 2016. Uh, and he happened to be out here. And we had a good conversation. He says, Kevin, I want you to see this. What are you doing tomorrow and this weekend? And it happened to be one of our off weekends in football. And I had it free, which is never true. And a weekend in October is never free as a college athletic director. Um, and so I said, well, you're not going to believe this, but as far as work, this is my one free weekend for the year. <laughs> he says, I want you to come see it. Get on a plane and come spend time with me. So I came out and it was middle of October. And it was the days I was here, it was in the 90s. So it was hot for October. And that's kind of what I remembered. But the place had changed tremendously. I mean, there were over 2 million more people in the greater Phoenix area here than when I left. Uh, when I left, there was no such thing as the 101 or the 303, um, the 202, the 51. None of those existed. <laughs> when you went across town, you went down Camelback. <laughs> <laughs> and you hit every light and there were no left turn lanes. And, uh, you know, they were just a far different city. And Surprise was never a destination. Surprise was this little place out in the West Desert that you went through if you happened to be on your way to Las Vegas from Phoenix. That would be the only reason you knew Surprise existed. And so I was always an East Valley guy. So the West Valley always had that negative connotation back in those days as an East Valley guy. Um, and when I got here and saw what was on the West Valley and what surprise was, I was really pleasantly surprised. No pun intended, or perhaps I should have said all puns intended. But, but it really is a wonderful and not so small community. 130,000 and growing like a weed. Uh, and, Although just really, really nice and new with a city that actually really cares and cares about Ottawa being here. And that was maybe one of the largest impressions on me. Well, I can agree that surprise you growing like a weed. I live um, in North Phoenix. I mean, really only like eight or nine miles away from the school, but there's so many people in surprise that it, it takes a while to get out, out to the campus. So I know at the next city council meeting, I think I'm going to, propose an underground uh, light rail system from stretching on Bell Road so I don't have to drive every. <laughs> <laughs> Bell Road, everybody's favorite nemesis. <laughs> That's right. Hey, you just put it right under the bridge. It goes underneath the canal. It's, it's simple. It's simple. So, but as you I'm mentioned, you, if you can get it done, Seth, I'll back you on that one. <laughs> well, we'll have to see if uh, we can get the city council to agree on a rise in taxes. I mean, I don't know if you'd be <laughs> on board with that, but uh, but I mean, as you mentioned, our, our friends north of Bell won't agree to those rising taxes. Exactly. 
Uh, and, and a lot of people uh, live north of Bell, and including that <laughs> Sun City area. I mean, the, the area over by, you know, Lake Pleasant Parkway, things of that nature as the 303 goes around. But um, surprise, it's a city that is growing, is starting to really become a, a city that people know in Arizona. And OUAZ has an opportunity to be surprises college, you know, surprises athletics, surprises university. How do you feel now that you have that opportunity to really capture the heart of a city because this is the first big time athletics program and really first big time university to ever be in that city? I think we're doing a really good job. And I think we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, but the people know we're here and you can't not know if you drive anywhere near uh, any of our city buildings. You're doing any business with the city of Surprise, then you see our campus because we share the campus. Uh, and with all the building that's going on right there in the Surprise Rec area, uh, it's hard not to notice this. Not to mention the Department of Economic Development for the city of Surprise. And Mike Hoover kind of headlining that group for us uh, has made his business to make sure that we are known all over the city and that we are here to support the work of the city and to help the city grow. And that's exactly what we're doing. And we still have a long way to go to get the, the city followers that we want in all of our venues. But we have a great following in football already from, from members of the community. And we are beginning to grow our followers in basketball. Uh, soccer has a nice beginning, uh, both men's and women's uh, followers from the city. And our ties to CCB has really helped that. By the way, they have been instrumental in our growth from day one and instrumental in our institution from day one. And how nice and benevolent they have been to us. Uh, but they've been a big part of our growth. We've got a long way to go. There are a lot of people to reach, and we want to keep making ourselves known. And that, that's one of the largest issues that we have, and it, some of it comes down to people like you and even this particular podcast, and that's just getting the word out that OUAZ exists and it exists in a very neat and big way. Yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge anybody would say about growing a brain, whether it's a business or an athletics department or a university is getting that word out and the coaches and, and the staff are really good about trying to push their, their programs. I mean, a lot of the teams have their own social media accounts and they're putting stuff out. I mean, women's basketball is really good on that football put out a video yesterday. I mean, really good in working with uh, everybody in the university to get that message out. And what do you think the success of that message has been? I mean, as you said, the programs are really starting to gain a following and surprise knows where OUAZ is at, but what do you think the success is right now through the first three years of, of that messaging and, and really that self-promotion? I think our branding is incredible right now for, for a young institution. Uh, and we are using every means that we can and, and those means keep growing, as you're well aware. Uh, the social platforms that, that we can be a part of, you know, 
are more than what any of us conceived them to be two years ago. Uh, between you and Josh, uh, you guys have more than your hands full at this point, uh, but are doing a great job with helping us in kind of managing our whole social media brand. Uh, the university as a whole has done a really good job uh, of, of keeping our brand in front of people. We've mixed it up a little bit between Spirit and Fang, but other than that, we've kept our brand fairly clear. Uh, we say that tongue-in-cheek, and it's an inside joke, so just let it go, all of you listeners who don't understand it. Uh, just laugh about it later on when we tell you. <laughs> uh, but, but I think we are we are on the cutting edge of higher education right now. We're doing things that no one else is doing. Uh, our flex week and our flex scheduling is is kind of really cool for our students. Uh, certainly, our personal growth development and personal growth days uh, are really. Uh, piece that sets us apart from all other institutions. How we do Wednesdays in the middle of the week sets us apart from all other institutions. And the fact that we are athlete-centric right now sets us apart. Um, when you, that's one of the really good issues with having so many student-athletes is that you get to carry a lot more clout around the campus when developing programs and developing the academic side of the house. They understand these kids are here because of sport programs and they're using those in order to help them get their degrees. So you don't get quite as much uh, negative feedback from the amount of time that athletics takes because everybody understands that's how we grow. And that's how we got here. And that's far different than a traditional campus. We'll perceive very well inside and out. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, a lot of the ways the school and the athletic department runs, right? Like you said, the, P, the personal growth days on Wednesdays and doing a lot of different types of scheduling with classes and really kind of giving that flexibility to those students for their education. And I think that's where a lot of schools are trying to figure out not only in this pandemic, but just in general, how do you make school more flexible and more available to more people as technology improves in OUAZ and Ottawa University as a whole doing a really good job of getting out in front of that, especially at the small school level. And um, speaking of small schools, that's where you had come from, or at least in terms of NAIA, you know, a small school compared to a division one NCA program level. Um, as you mentioned, you prayed and, and talked with your wife, Kristen, and, you know, s seeked a lot of advice and guidance, but eventually you obviously make the decision to come here. When you finally make that decision, how many athletic directors or former colleagues or just anybody that you know are calling you and just saying, what are you doing? Did anybody? <laughs> Fortunately, a lot of them were really kind and just said, Wow, you're going to go west again. Uh, because before him and you, I had been at California Baptist uh, on the West Coast and enjoyed a lot of success with great coaching staff there as well. But, um, so they kind of looked at it as a return to the West. Um, and then they would quietly start asking me, What are you doing? <laughs> 
this is not a time in in the world that anybody's trying to start an institution for higher education. In fact, there were a lot of cries that there are too many colleges and universities uh, already, and that that was one of the problems, and that they were becoming too expensive and that people couldn't afford higher education to be done that way anymore. And so there a lot of paring back and a few schools closing their doors over the last few years. And so you kind of had to look at it and go, really, is this what we're doing? But this is a very niche market. And the West Valley was underserved. And specifically the Northwest Valley here will be surprises a part of. So it all made pretty good sense to me when I looked at the numbers and, and saw the need. And you combine that with the need and the desire of the city to have a school to build around, then it made even more sense to Then to be able to be on the ground floor of something that's never been done before, then that pushes it over the edge for me. There's the challenge. Uh, you get 25 to 30 years within your career and you want something that's a little bit more challenging or at least a different challenge. I've built programs before. I've, I've taken small programs to larger programs. I've created teams that had nothing and ended up winners. Uh, I've been really blessed to be a part of a lot of that kind of success. And so I was ready for the new challenge. What I didn't know is how big of a challenge it really was. Even though I had 25 to 30 years, well, 30 plus in higher education, to go back to coaching days, uh, I really didn't have a clue how much of a challenge this would be. But I don't say that negatively. Um, it's kept me younger and made me older all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you said, I don't think anybody knew how big of a challenge it, it certainly was going to be. And you as an athletic director called on a lot of coaches and, and a lot of good people to come with you and, and take that challenge on. How did you feel when you had a lot of the – um, or, or a lot of good people from MNU come with you to OUAZ. I mean, did it make you feel more confident that this was going to work? Or how, what was that feeling that you knew you were bringing really not only trustworthy people, but people that knew how to get the job done? Honestly, I had mixed emotions um, because I did take some really good people from MNU but I loved him and you at the same time, and I felt a little bit guilty about taking people away from that institution. At the same time, they could have said no, <laughs> and they didn't. Uh, well, we actually have one that did. Um, there was one that I invited to come that didn't come. Uh, and I think it was right for that person, and it ended up being right. But for me, you know, bringing... Let's just start it where it is. Let's not start with coaches. Uh, bringing my assistant AD with me, who knew how I like to set up systems, uh, 
knew how I wanted to do business, knew the kind of office presence I wanted, who knew what kind of events I wanted to run, was a huge, huge get right off the bat. So Brittany Keller took a lot of pressure off of me right away because I didn't have to train somebody to know what she already knew about me and, and the things that I want done. Uh, now you couple that with bringing Kristen in volleyball and Skelly in soccer, Matt in soccer, who actually had him in Utah as well, um, and Matt in men's basketball. Um, those are people that I had all the confidence in the world in. And I wasn't going to have to lead. I wasn't going to have to teach. I could just say, this is what we're doing. I need you guys to go be who you are. And I, I had the ability to do that in a few other sports, too. I mean, Mike Nesbitt and I worked together at Glenn College back in 2004 and 2005. Uh, so I reached back into my history from Mike. He was the OC at the time when I was the AD there at Blinn. And kept talking with him throughout all the years. But I learned that it, the success of what you're doing is about the people. And so I had to get people that I trusted and frankly that I loved and that I wanted to be around on a daily basis and that I knew could get the job done. Uh, and being old and had been in this business a long time, I had pretty good lists in my pockets and I had a good, a good base from which to go draw. And one of the most fun things, Seth, that I ever did was have the opportunity to bring exactly the people that I wanted. Chancellor Eichner and President Tyner both looked at me and said, bring us who you want. Obviously, we want to talk to them, but bring us who you want. And we short-circuited the HR system quite a bit in those first few months. And I'm sure they weren't very pleased about it, but we had something we were trying to get done in a hurry. Uh, so I was given the task of fill all the coaching vacancies immediately and have them do it how you want to do it. And we did. So when there was failure, it was my failure. Uh, when there was success, it's their success. Uh, and fortunately, there have been more of their successes than my failures. So, so far, so good. Yeah, it's been really good during the first three years, really having a blank canvas to paint, paint the picture that you want and, and the programs want. And that blank canvas came in the picture of, or in the form of a dirt parking lot at the beginning of all this, um, the famous parking garage tour, the Eichner Point, um, you know, neon flags where parking spaces are drawn out being used as this is where the football field is going to be. And, you know, all those probably really tough recruiting tours that a lot of coaches gave out. But when I talked to Brittany Keller, I said, was there a moment where you realized, okay, we made it. This was the right decision. We're actually moving forward. And she said the kickoff of the first football game against SETI's back in 2018 was the moment where she realized, okay, this, this is going somewhere. We're actually making progress. She said she gave you a hug. 
was there a moment, was that the moment for you or was there a different moment where you started to realize, okay, everything we've talked about, everything we promised to these coaches and to these kids is really starting to come together? Yeah, and I appreciate Brittany saying that. And for those that don't know Brittany, Brittany is not a hugger. That is not her personality. So for her to get to that point um, meant that that was a really big celebration in her life. And, and I appreciated her sharing that uh, because Brittany's not the hugger. You don't go hug Brittany. <laughs> So, so I knew that that was a big moment for her. For me, when we first were given the opportunity to go find a turf that would work in the Arizona heat, I thought, okay, we're on our way. Uh, it was the very first construction. Uh, it was something that we had to have. We had to have it. Um, but you never know. You know, when you start looking at another million and a half and start to build the things around it and that becomes four and a half million and that's not even mentioning the things that got built behind it, you know, to get us into that three million range. Um, it was a giant step of erasing dirt and becoming something. Uh, and yeah, I took every coach that we interviewed Eichner Point, and by the way, I'm the one that coined that Eichner Point, uh, and it was literally because Chancellor Eichner would take everyone, including me, back in October, up to the parking garage, stand up there, and start pointing around. Plus, it was the highest point in the city at the time, so we had all kinds of reasons for calling it Eichner Point, but that, that was kind of fun. And then the city, and Vancouver in particular, is the one who went ahead and started putting the flags out in the color chart and putting the sign at the top saying, this is where this may be someday and this is where this will be someday. Uh, and all of that was cool, but we were selling air and dirt. Uh, literally, because that's what there was. Uh, and to a lot of kids' credit and to the Lord's credit mostly, he gave them a vision for what could be in that first piece of starting to search for the turf and get it down was when I said, okay, this wasn't just talk. That we really are attempting to do something for the students here. And that's when I decided that we really were going to make this happen. Uh, and all credit to President Tiny and Chancellor out here we're getting on board and pushing it forward uh, because doggone it, here we are and we've got a lot more than just a field now. And it yeah. happened quickly. It did, I mean, within... As slow as it seemed to the coaches, I'm sure, it happened really quickly. <laughs> I think a lot quickly, a lot more quickly than a lot of people would have guessed. Uh, I'm glad that that turf hasn't melted quite yet in the sun. I remember there was a women's soccer game, non-conference game before the first football game this past season. And a game ended around noon or so. And I went down to the field to interview Skelly. And I thought my shoes were going to be melted to my feet by the time that interview was over. So i um, very impressed that that field hasn't melted quite yet. But just like you said, and a lot, it got done a lot quickly. And 
maybe you didn't feel that quick to coaches, but I think talking to coaches on this podcast, a lot of them said it actually happened quicker than they thought it was going to be. Um, what yeah, you were you that. That's not what they tell you in my office. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, then we must be getting some conflicting stories here on the podcast. Maybe we'll have to be, I appreciate uh, the podcast stories, but I've got different stories out of my office. We might have to, the next podcast episode might be an investigation type <laughs> podcast into the, the truth behind it. But I mean, it really is impressive. The facility, I mean, the gym, the training room, all the locker rooms, the showers, the officials locker rooms, the offices on the third floor. Did you think that a building and a facility that nice that comes with an arena and a video board and three court, just everything that comes with it was going to be built in three years? No, and that's what I said earlier, is I thought in order to get that part of it, I was looking at almost 10 years down the road before that much of it would have been complete. I was hoping to get the stadium portion within the first three years, not the first year. Uh, you know, and then I wanted to start chipping away at the indoor facility. And I figured we would do some, you know, do a training room, do some local rooms, work our way towards the gym. And I was hoping that we would have a whole complex within 10 years. I was probably telling the coaches five to seven. <laughs> but in my mind, I was saying 10. Um, so we were way ahead of schedule. Now, you know, as in all construction, if you ask anybody who's ever been in construction, um, there are things that you have in it originally that get cut out for budgetary reasons. People, what people don't realize is there were in our original plans seven more locker rooms than what we actually have now. There were 14 total locker rooms in that building. Uh, giant entertainment space on the third floor. Um, we literally had, took away about a third of that building when we were cutting budget out. So there's a lot more still in my mind that we need to go back and recapture uh, as a place to go uh, for adding on. You can never just stay still, right? You enjoy what you have, but you still continue to build for, for the future. So all of those things haven't left me. I remember everything that we cut out and I want it back. <laughs> well, that might be um, in 10 years, though, put another building with a big entertainment center and, and extra locker rooms. And um, it'll be the, the Kevin Steele building. We'll they got Eichner Point and then we'll have steel buildings. So uh, I keep my name off of it, but I want to get it there for the kids. Got to get the track there. Got to get our softball field there. Got to get our swimming pool there. Got to take care of our kids on campus. And I say this silently, but eventually I may even want to see baseball back on campus even though they have a really good facility right now. <laughs> yeah, Monty might pay you to not build a facility. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing Monty would really enjoy about being on campus is having whatever hours he wanted to be in that facility. Uh, and that's always a challenge when you're sharing facilities. Oh, you're right. It, it can be tough, especially when spring training comes. I mean, essentially, of course. It basically like, kicks out. That's basically yeah. what gets to so it's like you said, it'd be nice to have that facility for whenever you want. And I mean, really, everybody in terms of having a gym, the training room, the offices, has it whenever they want. And, and 
you know, able to, to use that space, whether it be to study or to work out or to be in their office by themselves. And when you first walked in to the office and the facilities, obviously you were in construction meetings and, and saw the progress, but once you saw the 100%, okay, this is complete, we're ready to move in now, finished product, what were your first thoughts? We are really blessed. We have no reason to have ever expected that we should have something so nice. The Lord put it on some people's hearts to donate in a big way and we will forever be indebted to the hotels and our partnership with the city made this all possible. So really, I, my thoughts were, were just, were, I was just incredibly thankful. Because everywhere you walked, you go, wow, the kids should really like this. The kids are really going to enjoy this. And the staff's really going to enjoy having their place. And so it was just an overwhelming thankfulness for what we've been blessed with. Yeah, yes, I was in there for over two years in construction meetings throughout that. So I've been living with that one a long time. Yeah, I think that's a sentiment that a lot of coaches shared was they felt really blessed and, you know, really thankful to the Odells and to the city's surprise and everybody that made it possible to have those facilities, especially so quickly. And your wife got to be uh, the coach whose team first used the facilities on an official game night. It was Halloween night of 2019, the final, not only conference game, but um, what ended up being the game of the season for the OUAZ women's volleyball team. And uh, how excited was she? I remember talking to her and, and she was pretty excited, but as, as, your, as the husband and, and the athletic director and you're seeing her every day and, and every night, I mean, how excited was she that she was going to be the first the first coach, the first team to, to use that facility in a game situation. She was really excited and really actually scared. She didn't want to be the first loss in the facility. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, she does have that dubious notoriety to her name. <laughs> but, but just in order, you know, it would have been really nice to have gotten them in for that full season. We really worked hard at trying to do that we just couldn't get it done but I wanted to at least let the kids know that give them a taste of what was to come uh, and that's what we did and they were overwhelmed and so proud you could see it in their eyes we couldn't quite tell it in their play yet but we could see it in their eyes you know, that they were just really proud of what their university had built for them to enjoy and to develop and to me, that was, that meant a lot, you know, and to have ACU in, who was still having to go over and share facilities and places and do those kinds of things, it's pretty good, really. <laughs> well, they're doing, they're doing a great job at ACU on a lot of things, and they are in the middle of a number of building projects right now. Uh, so their, their institution is doing some great things. So I say that tongue-in-cheek. And Pete Bauer uh, is a great guy, and, and he's doing a good job. He's doing a good job. 
tongue in cheek when you have your crosstown models in and, and they see what you're enjoying and they don't have that quite yet, you know, you feel pretty good for a minute. That pride kicks in a little bit, probably more than it should. <laughs> well, hey, if, if you're going to show them off, you might as well do it in style, right? <laughs> well, that's what we think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there was, it seemed every time there's a, a team in that gym for a game day, the, the style, the in-game presentation, the flair just got better and better. And for you, as the season went along, whether it was basketball, men's volleyball, how did you feel and, and what were your feelings when you saw just the way the facilities were being used in, in such a, a way that everybody thought they were going to be used and the in-game presentation was, you know, getting better and, and really trying to make an experience for people that want to come back to the gym and whether it be to see the team or to see what the facilities look like. What was that like when every time you stepped into the gym, it, things just got better and better? Well, I was really happy, number one, for our staff. Um, you know, because you've sat in the meetings, event management and game presentation is giant on my list of things to do well. Uh, we may be small college athletics, but there's no reason we have to present ourselves in a small way. Uh, so doing things as well as they can possibly be done and knowing that that bar gets raised every time we do another event. Um, so I press really hard on our people and, and, and Josh and Britt and yourself have, have stepped up. Um, and there's still all things we're still learning about our facility and, and what its capabilities are. Uh, and that's part of the fun part. It's also, I'm sure, frustrating for you and Josh when the technology doesn't always agree with you or we can't figure it out on time. Um, but every time we bring visitors in, it is a pleasure to show them around. Uh, it is a pleasure to to do what we do on the video board. Uh, you know, let's be honest. No one in our league comes even close to having what we have when we start showing things on our video. Uh, and it's not because they're so bad. It's just that we were really blessed to be able to do something in a really big way. And that video board is as good as any board in the country. Uh, and our knowledge and ability to use it just continues to increase. And every time we learn, and really I should say every time y'all learn, because I couldn't turn it on. Uh, <laughs> Every time you don't learn more what to do and you bring it to the table, you know, I look at it and go, that's amazing. You know, this is NAIA, third year college. Look at what we're doing. Look at the presentation. Look how we're treating our student athletes to this venue and to, and to doing things second to no one. Um, and that really pleases me. That, that gives me the smile and that drives me. Yeah, it's, it seems to be, as you said, a learning experience every time for Josh and I. I know it seems like during this uh, quarantine, particularly in the summer as we're ramping up towards the fall season, it seems like Josh and I are having daily conversations about uh, new things he's discovering about the board or new equipment we might be able to get for it. So it's been, it's been fun. I, I can definitely tell you that. And uh, just 
a great vibe at, at OUAZ. And for you, you mentioned you were in Arizona um, and then left in 1988. Well, one of the big things that that's mentioned is you were an assistant coach at, uh, for basketball at Grand Canyon University down um, in, in Phoenix. And you've probably seen how much that school has exploded since you've been there. Is that the level, not necessarily the athletics getting to NCAA D1, but just in terms of building a school, building a brand, getting students on campus, is that the goal for OUAZ right now to get to where, yeah, sure, people know that GCU has athletics, but there's a lot more to the school than just the athletic programs? Oh, certainly. Uh, and GCU is not anywhere near the same institution that I left back in 86, 86, 87, I think was my last time we were coached there, 86. Um, and although I think my office still exists, by the way. <laughs> um, that old gym is not a gym anymore. There are classrooms in there. Uh, it was the gym prior to the one that volleyball uses now, so you may not even remember it. Uh, but. I walked on that campus for the first time coming back and I had no idea where I was. Uh, I couldn't picture where all of our original buildings were that we were using. And it wasn't a small, it wasn't any high school when I was there, but it was a any high school of 21, 2200 students, which is a good size NAI school, uh, but nothing near what it is today. And I just look at it and go, you know, to me, that it's not trying to become them. It's doing what OUAZ does, but knowing that that potential that they sought for GCU is what we're seeking for OUAZ, that, that we can build something that great, that if we will keep our focus on the Lord and focus on what it is and how it is he wants us to do it, that that is not without the realm of possibility. It's totally possible, but we just have to keep our focus in our day-to-day -day obedience to what he wants and doing things right as we go, uh, and then let the future you know, take care of itself. But it drives me to know that look what GCU did in a fairly short amount of time, uh, to know that it's possible and to know that it's possible to do right here, you know, less than 10, 15 miles away. Yeah, I grew up about three to four miles northwest of GCU. And I mean, really, it's just been the last 10 to 15 years. I remember back, you know, when I was in fifth, sixth grade back in 05, 06. I mean, it just, you know, it was, it wasn't small by any stretch, but it, it wasn't as big of a campus as it is now. And they pretty much, own all of of Camelback starting at 43rd and going all the way down to the I-17 so it's um, a potential that who knows maybe OUAZ can own all of Bell and Greenway within the next <laughs> 10 to 15 years. That would be an amazing feat right there. But I think there is one thing at OUAZ and maybe this is a little more behind the scenes where that's already been established and I think that's the family aspect and I know a lot of people talk about oh you know this workplace is a family atmosphere and, and we feel like family but I mean when you talk about family at OUAZ it is literally 
blood family. Your wife is the head volleyball, women's volleyball coach. Your son is the head men's volleyball coach. Um, you know, the Kellers, Skelly and, and Brittany, and um, there's kids running around at the Carvalho's in beach volleyball. And every event's got 15 to 20 kids minimum running around everywhere. And, you know, all I know is um, there's a lot of kids, but none of them come home. I don't have to take any of them home at the end of the night. So I don't know whose they are, but I just know they're not mine. But when it comes to that, I mean, what is that feeling like that? I mean, it's, it's not just, oh, we're a family, like a typical workplace, you'd say. It's literally family. And, and how does that feel to know that, you know, kids are growing up in an atmosphere where, you know, it's open and, and people are connected and that's what you're building. How does that feel? Seth, it feels incredible because it was intentional. My leadership style is one that I want to work with my best friends. I may not really know them that well when we're first together and you know, I first hire them, but I work at a friendship level. I feel like I work more intently and more, with more intensity when I know I can't let my friends down and I feel like they do the same. So I, I don't run this, I'm the AD, you're not kind of a ship, I hope. If I have to tell you that I'm the AD, then I'm not doing my job. If you didn't already know that, then you probably, I probably shouldn't have hired you to begin with. Um, so I really want those kinds of close relationships. Um, I was fortunate that Chancellor Eichner told me up front that he was not worried about the nepotism clause, that he felt like good people had good families and there was trust there, and that he was not fearful of that. And so I had the ability to hire some family members and for others that I knew to help hire their family members, and it has worked out well. Frankly, it's the only way I care to work. Uh, I enjoy going to work, and a lot of people don't understand that. I enjoy going to work every day, knowing that my wife's going to go in the same office. Uh, to me, it's a true pleasure. Uh, probably more for me than her, but I understand that, and she would only be lying if she said anything other than that. Uh, but the pleasure to see my grandkids uh, on an almost daily basis. And I never thought that I would have that, or the ability to have. Uh, this is the second time I've worked with one of my sons. Uh, never thought that I'd have that ability. Uh, to have my son and daughter-in-law both on the staff, uh, that's pretty amazing. And to have all of them having young families. Those are some old geezers like Brad and Monty and myself. And, and then there's getting older geezer like Nesbitt. <laughs> and then we have a, a host of others who are in the family age range. And then we have compliance. We've got Alex and we've got Seth over here and you know, sports related, media relations um, that don't have children yet. So we have the whole gamut. But you are right. We have got some giant families. Uh, and all of their kids being around literally makes life a whole lot more fun. And I love the fact that after a football game, 
that we hold everybody off the field, but we don't hold our staff and our staff kids off the field on purpose. I want those kids to grow up, you know, thinking OUAZ is the biggest and mightiest thing that they've ever known. And they used to be running around on the field after games or running around on the basketball court after the games. And I want them to feel that home presence. I want them to grow up knowing it. And it's really important to me because coaching athletics at any level, especially coaching, coaching is not There's a balance overload. I want it to be towards the family, not the job. But I trust that they're going to get their jobs done. And that's the way we go about business here. So, yeah, when you see families and all of that, nothing makes me happier. So I hope that we continue to get to see that for a long time. And, Seth, it's okay that you don't have to take any of them home. <laughs> hey, that's the best I don't part of the job. For a different reason. Yeah. <laughs> You already took them home for long I've taken my that. share home. Uh, <laughs> I'll take my grandkids to their home. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Only for 30 minutes. It's a 30-minute time window. That's right. Well, I mean, it's like you said. I mean, the kids running around on the field and the courts and being together. And, I mean, I think it's really heartwarming. You know, I'm, obviously, everybody, ourselves and, and the coaches always leave after everybody's gone. But everybody walks out as a family, whether it is the Steels or the Keeleys and the Hepkers. And, you know, when you're walking out, it's, it's as a family. You can't, you can't forget Josh and his. That's right. Well, the thing is, is Josh usually doesn't walk out with his family. He's usually walking out with me three hours later. So. <laughs> well, he walks out with them, but he comes right back. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's not his final walkout. <laughs> that's right. But I mean, very heartwarming. And um, I think another thing that, at least I'm personally curious about is will we ever see at OUAZ a uniform with an orange base color with black lettering? Yes or no? Not one on top of the other, if I can help it. <laughs> the reason I ask is because it's kind of a, a well-known thing around um, OUAZ that orange and black will never touch as you are um, a big Oklahoma guy. And um, what did, did you ever have a say in the colors and did you ever try to get uh, or at least lobby to see if we can get a different uh, color outside of orange? These colors were chosen for us <laughs> and, and they're great colors. And that's what I'm going to say and I'm sticking to it. I will say this, that in the first year we were more uh, burgundy based then we were orange-based, but it didn't take much for me to notice that the colors around town for the other NAI schools, and for that matter, even ASU, uh, there was a lot of red or some shade of red being used. And if we wanted to differentiate ourselves, then we should major on the orange. And that's the way we became orange. Uh, the first year we were kind of majoring as orange being an accent and our burgundy being the base color. And we've, we've changed that in the second year. 
Uh, and I'm glad that we did because we're much more noticeable around town in, in Orange than we are, than we would have been in the Burgundy. We would have looked like three other schools in town if we'd gone with the Burgundy. Well, I mean, you talk about not only is it ASU and, and a couple of the other NAI schools, but the D-backs, the Cardinals, the Coyotes are all red as well. So it's just, it seems to be the color for Arizona sports. So as you said, Orange can, can help you stick out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, definitely with the way the Suns have played over the last 10 years, I think OUAZ is definitely the best uh, athletics to wear orange in the state of Arizona. So, uh, Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hey, it, sometimes the truth hurts, right? I, look, I'm a Suns fan. I'm I'm from Arizona. It, it hurts me to say that, but it's... We still blame Steve Kerr for screwing the Suns, don't we? Well, uh, real Suns fans know that. That's not Steve Kerr's fault. So, but... He was the GM, my friend. He was, but, I mean, we've seen, we've seen how the Phoenix Suns have treated uh, not only Steve Kerr, Dan Marley, when he had the opportunity to be the head coach. So, that's... You know, well, I'm just looking at who fired the guys that the only team they couldn't beat were the guys in the finals. Sorry. That's right. <laughs> sure would have liked to have continued that. <laughs> I agree. It's tough. But I think uh, a lot of schools at OUAZ are going to be in the finals. I mean, you've won or, you know, the programs have won national titles, conference championships. I mean, in three years, just an incredible run for some of these programs. And while you personally don't have a single program that, you know, measures wins and losses and, oh, you know, we improved our win total this year. For you, heading into this upcoming fall and really just the upcoming sports year in general, what needs to happen or what are your goals that need to be accomplished for you to say, okay, we really took a big step forward this year? Well, right now, Seth, that's kind of more short-term than long-term uh, just because of the, the COVID-19 issues. Uh, Right now, I'm looking at short-term success, and that's getting our students back to campus on time uh, and in a, in a very safe manner. Uh, and we realize that we're going to have some of our students who will eventually catch COVID-19 and be positive. Uh, but we want to be able to handle that and get them treated and do so without creating an epidemic on campus. And honestly, if we can get through that and get through our semester, um, being able to give the students a really good experience coming out of this pandemic a little bit, uh, to make them feel more normal. Uh, you know, right now, I want them to feel comfortable and I want them to have a closer to normal college experience. Uh, on the OUAZ campus, and to me, that would be the real success. The fact that they get to play, even though it may be in an altered state, uh, maybe not with all the fans and maybe not practicing the way that they're used to practicing, but just to get them back in it so that they can experience their sport again, that would be a great success. So my, my bar has moved for this immediate semester and perhaps year uh, as to what I may be looking at. And right now, that's what I'm looking at. You're right. I think everybody's looking f in terms of college athletics as somewhat of a return to the normalcy, like you said, getting back on campus, getting that college life together and, and trying to create an experience that 
can help kind of soothe over to a certain extent. I mean, obviously you can't do everything, but uh, you know, help move forward and, and doing it in a safe manner. And OUAZ has the leadership and, and the facilities to do that. And I'm with you. I'm hoping that um, a lot of good things are in place in order to keep everybody as safe as possible. And Kevin, really appreciate your time and, and taking time out of your day to, to not only talk with me, but to talk with everybody else um, in the world and, and in the OUAZ universe. And is there any final words or any final thoughts you want to leave with the OUAZ fans and, and those really backing what OUAZ has been doing over the past three years? And number one is pray for us. Pray that we can do the things that we're supposed to do and we can do them well. Number two, uh, let yourselves be known. Come and support the kids. Uh, participation is key. Uh, don't be just a bystander, but participate with us. And get to know our kids. You will love them. Take a personal interest. You will, you will make your own life better by doing so. So come be a part of the spirit. And if you see Fang run around, give him a high five. I agree. Hey, high fives, high fives everywhere. And hopefully we'll see a lot more of Fang and, and our athletes on campus within the next uh, 30 to 90 days or so. So Kevin, thank you again so much for coming on with me. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon as we lead up to fall. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Seth. Appreciate it.